0: Uh, That's the second time it's gone on.
3: They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those those, those
1: guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, my Devin and Kieran Murphy in studio for today's Irish Times Second Captains podcast. Hi, Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Ron. i had one of those moments today. You haven't to asked me how I am, but I'm going to tell you how I am. I'm bugged. I'm being I'm bu- being bugged by something at the moment. Ah, uh, Owen, oh, go on. Why? Yeah. What's, what's bugging but, you? What's what's eating you? You know, when you pick up a piece of information that would have worked perfectly in an interview, but the interview's already happened. That, yeah, okay. That's what's happening. So The Guardian put out a really good article at the weekend. Yeah. Entitled, The 50 Podcasts You Need to Hear. Okay. It's a great list, lots of variety. And I'm not just saying that because <laughs> the Irish Times 2nd Captains Podcast gets a mention.
3: What, we get a mention?
1: Well, we get a mention.
3: Oh. oh yeah. 50, I mean, that's not a lot of podcasts. And uh, I mean, worldwide, the world is a big, big place. Big place, lots
1: of podcasts. A lot no of podcasters there. podcasting. So I subscribed to a bunch of them, including one on. called... Yeah, no such thing as a... Fi- I find uh, with my podcasting lately, I've slipped into... Just listen to a lot of one-on-one interview type yeah. podcasts. Nothing wrong with them. a lot of really good ones out there. Yeah. But I wanted to branch Mix out it a little up further. Mix up So anyway, no such thing Keep as a fish. Keep people guessing
3: on. You know, you don't want to be predictable. That's it, yeah. The so one thing you don't want to be in life is predictable.
1: No such thing as a fish. You crazy bastard. It's presented by... <laughs> I have a crazy bastard in my podcast choices. <laughs> Sometimes, though. It's presented by the researchers behind the TV show QI. You know, okay, QI with yeah. Stephen Fry. Yeah, so yeah, if you've yeah. ever watched that program, there's quite a bit of enjoyably useless information in there. Yeah, there's a lot of facts. Of course. Uh, a lot of nonsense. Well, no, it's not nonsense. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it could appear frivolous at first sight, but it's done in, in a very intellectual yet humorous way. Well, I sound like an, This now sounds like an ad for QI. Knowledge uh, is never a waste, John. Yeah. So, anyway, the podcast asked the re- each of the researchers to come along, sit in front of the mic, and bring to the table the most interesting fact of the week that they've come across. Okay. So, one of the facts this week is that all new emojis are approved by one 63-year-old man known as the shadowy emoji overlord. <laughs> Who sits on top of a sort of grand council made up of representatives of Google and Facebook and others? It's called the Unicode Consortium. I know this all sounds a little bit, uh, yeah, Are a little you for bit. Real? Yeah, yeah, this is all true. No,
3: sorry. What was the title of the guy? Oh, Overlord. And the, someone, someone,
1: yeah, that's not his official title, but he's
3: okay. It's, well, no, it's a I mean that's what I would have done. I mean, if if I was in charge of an, I mean, why not go balls out for this? Yeah, you know, if you're. I mean, it's not the most serious job in the world, but why not ham it up as much as we can? Apparently,
1: the article this research was based on was entitled Two Days with the Shadowy Emoji Overlords, of okay. the
3: uh, Unicode well, uh, Consortium.
1: <laughs> I mean, that hooks me in right there. That's going to hook me in. Uh, and reality.
3: if uh, you introduce yourself at dinner parties, uh, hey, how's, how's it going? I'm the Shadowy emo- Emoji Overlord.
1: <laughs> I just pick the emojis and I throw some in the bin. It's all good. Yeah. So, in the course of this conversation, emerged a bunch of new sports emojis are under consideration for release this year, including—and this is where the piece of information that could have been handy last week okay. has now come to my attention— including a modern pentathlon emoji. How uh, often do we cover modern pentathlon on the show? We get world champ Natalia Coyle in last week, yeah, and I only discover this today. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. I'll show you it if you, do you want to have a look at it. Well, I mean, is, this is just a prototype, is it? It's a prototype, yeah. So sort of, I think it's under consideration for this year. So there are many other ones, but uh, this is one of the sports ones. So let's you a little look at it here. Swing yeah, around. Okay. You see, kind of in the middle of the screen there, modern pentathlon. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the
3: rifle is top left. That's where I would have put it. Yeah, because I mean, that's the that's the signature, really, isn't it, it of looks, the modern yeah. pentathlon? It looks
1: quite yeah complicated. It's it's like actually rather than just it's five different characters yeah. each indulging in one of the sports of modern yeah. pentathlon the fencer one is very good mm. i like the fencer one you look at your phone there why are you looking through the sports mode no
3: no i'm just trying to remember the the last time someone said oh my god there's not an emoji for that and i i was certain i was in the right whatsapp group for it but it turns well, out. Running. Oh, the rhinoceros.
1: There's not one for. Ru- Sorry, there's no rhino. Well, there's
3: yeah, I know what you mean. There's a guy running, but there's but he's like running to catch a bus, as opposed to yeah, you know, running a marathon. So there's a guy
1: playing basketball, and there's nobody just going for a jog. I mean, more people yeah. jog than play basketball in the world. That... Would you be a big emoji user on? <sighs> yeah, in recent times, I've kind of you, you
3: use the uh, sunglasses and smug expression one a lot.
1: Is that a smug expression?
3: Well, I mean, it... be cool, chill.
1: Yeah, it's when you're stressing yeah. out about what you say to me, look, we have to talk about something sensible at the top of a podcast. You, like you would have done mm. before today's podcast I said, relax, I got it So I just sent you that thing Yeah, it turns out it,
0: it
3: was both <laughs> an instruction to me And also the topic <laughs> that to we were going to discuss
1: uh, Where am I here, Murph, FA Cup final weekend You were all misty-eyed about this I, I hate to embarrass you in front mm. of our listeners here But uh, I mentioned to you today You, you know it's the Cup final weekend, Murph And you, uh, you wept openly
3: <sighs> Well, I mean Yeah, it, it is It is my first my first football memory That isn't Jackie Charlton related is the 1990 oh. FA Cup final right. um, between Manchester United and Crystal Palace? It's actually the day of the semi-finals when Crystal Palace won that classic game against Liverpool, whatever it was, four three yeah. or three two, and then United drew three all with Oldham. And there were two live games on on the on the same day on television. Mm-hmm. On television, you could sit down and watch a football game, and then be assured that soon mm-hmm. afterwards there would be another football game also coming up,
1: which you did not get. For younger listeners You did not get that In no. league football At that time
3: No you most certainly did not Do you remember When Orty used to show Live games 15 minutes to late Yeah On Saturday afternoon yeah. Bizarre well, it But anyway sort of a rights thing, It I was remember. It was very very strange I've told the story before About Steve Bruce's Two headed goals Against Sheffield Wednesday That won the the league For Manchester United didn't. In 1992-93 Yeah Shown live 15 minutes late On RT television My mother came in there were five minutes to no, go into the no. game as we were watching. Spoiler. And she said, has anything happened?
1: <laughs> you know, <she> just, <laughs> has Steve she, Bruce she, gone up yeah, for no, a corner no, she,
3: yet? she wasn't that obvious. She just kind of came in and went, oh, it hasn't happened yet. Or something like that. And it was really annoying. And as the goals were going in, it was like, well, this is obviously an amazing moment in sport, but my mother's ruined it for me. Anyway, 1990 FA Cup semi finals. Uh, very distinct childhood memory for me. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the FA Cup final... I mean, it waxes and wanes a little, really, is not it, in the public consciousness? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, but uh, is, yeah. the fact that Louis Van Gaal's job is basically on the line—that's I mean, not he's, Yeah, he's, I mean, he's gone the
1: anyway. unfortunately. But uh, we had a great piece. or We will have a great piece in today's football podcast. Richie Sadler came in to chat to his old Millwall teammate Robbie Ryan about the time that Robbie marked a young Cristiano Ronaldo in the 2004 final, and uh, Robbie was great. I have to say, Robbie Ryan, really, really good chat. Uh, somebody I, I remembered from those days, but. Uh, hadn't really thought a lot about for a long time. Mm. So really, really, really good stories. Uh, my favourite story involves the jersey that he ends up with. Well, I'm, I'm not going okay. to... It, it, it may not be Cristiano Ronaldo's jersey that ends up uh, being hung up in the wall. I'm sure it's something really
3: cool, though, so after that at least.
1: Murph, I'm a little nervous because after the critical success of Anton O'Toole, Dublin's fair jewel, last week...
3: <laughs> it was a critical success.
1: I think it's uh, not a commercial success, it turns out. You don't make much money out of just no poetry. reading poetry Best and podcasts. Best career <laughs> move you
3: can, you can make now on is die. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens with poets. I
1: think it's only fair to give the more discerning Second Captain's podcast in ears what, what you didn't, did, what did you? Want. Let's do it.
3: Owen's poems
4: With Owen
1: McDevitt. Featuring
3: the poetry of Owen McDevitt.
1: Oh, what an yeah. absolute load of nonsense that is. <laughs> Mer- <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> i going to let the wolf fowl play out. There. The lyrical gangster, Owen Devitt here, star of Owen's Poems. With a brand new bed there. With my it's latest not a bed
3: now, so we know it's going nowhere. So just this is buckle gonna, up. going a be a it?
1: enjoy. It's my latest. Pay-on. Yeah, uh, go on. See, I'm more about the written word these days. I'm not sure how to pronounce all these fancy no. words. To the great dubs of the 1970s, I'm going straight to the top to bring you Kevin Heffernan. He was <laughs> the only one.
3: <laughs> Sorry, what's his name?
1: Kevin Heffernan
3: <laughs> For the purposes of rhyming Yes okay <laughs> Kevin Heffernan
1: Fly Marino to Milan Read the Bible and Koran You will not find a man As great as Kevin Heffernan He was the only one <laughs> Who said Jimmy Keefe and he can Glide over
3: <laughs> What? Sorry no go on though, sorry.
1: All questions at the end of the poem yeah. Glide around like a swan And win us Back to Sam <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It wasn't just the Vincent's clan. A few short years after the ban, he called up Kevin Moran as defensive anchor man. He'd be a charmer to your gran, befriend each newspaper man. But Jesus those dubs they ran and ran for Kevin Heffo, Heffernan. Oh.
5: <laughs> huh? Is that alright? I, I,
1: I
3: will applaud. Not as good as Anton O'Toole. Something fair, Jill? Well, I, I just <laughs> feel that the rhyming, I mean, it's... It was, always, it was
1: always going to be a little more tenuous, let's be fair.
3: Well... I mean I think it Defensive may-
1: Anchorman is alright though
3: Yeah Kevin Moran Is You know <laughs> I
1: don't think he was called that In the 70s But uh, subsequently was
3: No I, I, I think Maybe this one Anton O'Toole Dublin's Fair Jewel hmm. Worked brilliantly As a spoken poem I feel That if I was Looking at that I could, uh, If I just read that On the page It might have been easier For me to get over Some of the He was the only one Yeah That one in particular What's wrong with
1: that It's a Dublin based poem
3: wan still doesn't rhyme with heffernan. <laughs> but, I
0: mean,
3: you know, whatever, is, whatever. And also
1: there are some factual inaccuracies. You cannot fly direct from Marino to Milan. <laughs> uh, although, just head on back, head on towards the Marino airport, not to Milan. Not too far I mean,
3: away. Well, you could. I mean, if you could land it there in Vincent's pitch.
1: I think we're going to have to broaden it out.
3: I, I think so. On, I, I don't mean, know I how many,
1: you've... you know, like Robbie Keller is not an easy name to rhyme with either. <laughs> That's no, very bad. So, uh, true. yeah.
3: Uh, well, I I think on that on poems you know, you've done your bit. Mm-hmm. Now you must lay the gauntlet down. Yes. To our yes. Listeners. Yes.
1: Yes, I feel a bit isolated actually here. The, the lonely life of an artist, you're right. Yeah,
3: I mean, you know, okay. it it should be it should be a community effort. I'm I'm thinking more sort of Ginsberg, Kerouac. Right. You know, New York 1957. You know, just a group of like-minded individuals reading poems about, mm-hmm. you know, some Dublin footballers in the 1970s Some sports people Who aren't Dublin footballers in the 1970s Okay I'll let
1: you Okay okay, that sounds good People, So people can email in their poems To us
3: Yes We'll all read them together well, I think that's Well right. no you read them It's oh,
1: Owen's I read poems them. Oh it's so. Owen's poems Okay Can I still write
3: um, let's, let's see how the listeners do And then we can revisit Your poems in a year or two
1: Get your pens out Get your pencils out Like it's 1982 And write down the name Of the sports person About whom you must Write a poem By this mm. day next week Okay your homework is. You go for it, yeah, I'll let you pick. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's okay. It's fine. Me? Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, um Okay. Uh Damien Duff. Oh. Damien Duff. I mean that's, that's actually really easy to rhyme rhyme with as well.
1: Is Duffer permissible? No, listen, actually forget about it. Just go with it whatever. Listen way, Damien you Duff. Feel, are, are whatever we, you see fit.
3: Are we are we are yeah, we yeah. Damien Duff is good. Are we wedded to the strict rhyming
1: No, no, it can be any sort of poem about Damien Duff.
3: So if it's a stream of consciousness on you know, C1. Well, it's a
1: poem. has rhyme. <laughs> As all the great poets okay, would tell here.
3: Okay, so it doesn't have uh, A, B, A, B, A, B, C, That's A, B, B whatever, you know, yeah. what, what, whatever takes your hmm. fancy.
1: Email at uh, That's secondcaptains at irishtimes.com I'm looking forward to this. Irishtimes. I'm actually com. looking
3: forward to this. This is... Okay. It'd pray, you know, the, if 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 our listeners have anything about them at all, this this could really work.
1: On with the show. We talked about the big Amir Khan Canelo Alvarez fight at the MGM Grand a couple of weeks back. As part of the undercard on that one, Donny Jason Quigley fought and won his eleventh professional fight. His first in Vegas. If you might remember, we had Jason. We've had him on a few times actually, but we had him on last a couple of years ago when he turned professional after signing with Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy Promotions. Now he was really excited and uh, explained all the reasons why he went. With well, largely the reason was Oscar De La Hoya uh, is heavily involved and has a pretty hands-on role apparently. So he talked to us about that, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him in LA today. The Munster hurling championship gets going on Sunday, though it's Tip against Cork and Thurless These used to be the big two, Tip mm-hmm. and Cork. Well, still, I mean, Tip would still consider themselves one of the big two in Munster. Cork maybe not so much, but uh, yeah, yeah. Traditionally, it's been all about these two.
3: Well, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about Clare and Waterford. Mm-hmm. You see and I can see this not going down particularly well in Cork and Tipperary uh, combined monster titles between Clare and uh, Waterford 15 Clare 6 Waterford 9 combined monster titles between Cork and Tipperary 92 Cork 51 <laughs> Tipperary 41 so I can see why this might be getting people's goat a small bit Uh fact of the matter is Clare and Waterford had uh, better leagues seemed to have a bit more about them this year I mean Tipperary are still Many people's choices Second best team in the country But uh, Certainly What's happened in Cork Over the last Year or so uh, Last Three or four months Has been deeply worrying And A last minute goal To beat Galway in a relegation playoff They're only winning the league Yeah yeah, Might not be enough to uh, To 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 stave off those criticisms Michael
1: Foley Sunday Times journalist And Cork man I think I'll have to break it to you That Cork are Probably The fourth best team in Munster At the moment
4: this is this is a reality one that we just have to accept and and get along with. You know, we all have our crosses to bear, but uh, yeah, like I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of those things. I suppose Cork Tip is a rivalry. It's it's a funny one because it it sort of repulses a lot of people. You know, it's sort of one of those blue blood rivalries that you know people from other counties they just don't they don't. It's it's maybe a, it may a bit. It's maybe taking a bit. It's bit too precious. People are a bit too precious about it. You know, a, little, but, a, uh, a
1: touch of the Dublin carries about it is what you're saying.
4: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that there's a lot of romancing going on about something that's not particularly romantic at all, and maybe the games don't always kind of stack up when you actually really look at them, you know, uh, but it, it certainly in this case, I mean, Tipperary obviously have been operating at consistently at a high level now for the last bunch of years, whereas Cork have kind of dipped in and out, got to 2013 All-Ireland Final, got to an All-Ireland semi-final against Tipp in 2014 and fell fairly badly short, uh, and, you know, obviously their league form this year and, and the way they've been going would suggest that they're they're massive underdogs, but I suppose... The one thing from a Cork perspective is that, you know, history, if it tells us anything about Cork Tip, is that in this scenario, uh, you know, Cork Cork are to be watched, you know. Now, there's absolutely nothing really to recommend them in terms of winning on Sunday, apart from the fact that uh, they are capable, and Cork have been capable over the years, of coming up against Tip and producing something extraordinary to turn them over.
1: You said it was a reality, it's a reality check, just where Cork are at the moment and obviously a lot of people are talking about Waterford and Clare after their uh, couple of games in the league final do you reckon that that's the kind of thing that might might get the competitive juices flowing there among the Cork team whatever about the public maybe the team will start getting a little bit pissed off with this idea that suddenly they're they're not even in the top three in the province
4: it can't uh, it can't but sort of impact on them in some way I suppose I mean you know, you see Kieran Kingston, the manager, talking there the other day about sort of um, you know accepting where Cork are in the picking order in the sense, or not not accepting it, but accepting why people say Cork are where they are in the picking order, and and saying that publicly is one thing, but I'm sure you know there's there's huge pride there, and there's there's a huge um, you know I wouldn't even say tradition, but there's a, there's a huge regard for Cork hurling there that uh, within the county that that demands that it that they that they get themselves up to a better position than they are now. Now to be fair to them, you know, I mean. I don't think there's anybody if you look at the panel and the teams that they've been putting out for the league, there's you know, there's no huge absentees. There's nobody there or not there that you say should be there or anything like that. I mean, I think they're they're operating with as full a pack as they can possibly get together. Um, they just they just are where they are and you know, you know, underage, they haven't been good for the last seven or eight years. Uh if you look at the Hearty Cup, the Munster College is hurling all right this year, I think there was seven or eight Cork teams out of sixteen. So that would suggest that, you know. It's coming around again for Cork, but, you know, the notion from years back that, you know, kind of Cork can just generate teams overnight sort of thing, because Clare and Waterford and other teams like that have gotten that bit more organised, mm. and there's a lot more about them now. It's not it's not as easy for Cork just to come with a, with a, with a group of players from nowhere, although, you know, the argument could be made that 2013-2014, they kind of did, and they've, they've fallen away again since, but, you know... Cork are finding now that without that solid stream of underage players coming through, you can't really sustain yourself at the top level. You might be able to pull the odd year out of it, but you're not going to you're not going to sustain yourself up there. You know.
3: Yeah, another thing that Clare and Watford have going for them are young managers that are uh, out of the game, not a very long time as as players, um, that have that have come up with a system that, that suits the players that they have perfectly. And obviously, those systems have come in for little bits of criticism here and there. But there's a very defined way of playing that Claire and Watford have. Uh, Kieran Kingston was a selector under Jimmy Barry Murphy, uh, dating back to 2012. Is he, you know, he's 52 years old. I mean, I, I, without meaning to sound ageist. I mean, is he enough of a new broom to come in and radically change how Cork play?
4: Well, I think... I think in the overall scheme of things, uh, you know, no more than football in Cork, you know, there is a very strong traditional bent to the way that, that Hurling is coached in the county. And you look at the players that are there, you wonder whether they'd be able to even play that sort of, you know, uh, Waterford Clare sort of very structured game. I mean, the criticism of JBM all through the time was that there wasn't enough kind of tactical notes and, and sort of structure being applied to the team. Um, you know, I saw I, I saw Cork in a few league games this son, or this this spring, and you could see that they're kind of at times they were caught between two stools. You know, they were sort of trying to install a defensive kind of mindset, defensive system, particularly against Waterford actually. But they just did not look comfortable at all doing it. Then they went out against Kilkenny, and it was a bit more mano a mano stuff, suited them much better. They were much happier just kind of playing what I call loosey goosey hurling, just kind of going for it, and uh, you know trying to find ways around. Uh, the opposition rather than trying to go through them or over them. Um, so, King, like, I mean, you know, Kingston is a product of all of that as well. So, you know, there's only so much you can do. Now, he is, you know, he's got Frank Flannery in there who was, who, you know, who was successful at the Ballad this year. Um, you know, there are good guys. Pat Ryan was very successful with Sarsfield. So, again, you know, you can't say that they don't have, you know, the best, maybe the best of what's there in Cork in terms of coaching and that. Um, the question is, I suppose, for me, is whether they actually have the players to execute You know the kind of systems that some people might like to see them play.
1: Why do you think there? You mentioned that there is sort of a bent towards the traditional style of play, but why would there be any resistance to the more to to the tactical nuances of the game? If you think back to the Cork team ten years ago, you know maybe uh, before it all went to went to pot a little bit. I mean, they were playing this sort of passing and running style of hurling that uh, certainly hadn't been played as well as that possibly ever before. And yet, you're saying there's still there's still an element within in the county that would like to see the more old-fashioned, loosey-goosey stuff, as you say.
4: Well, there's an element to that, but I mean, I don't think it's necessarily that. Look, it's it, again, it's a bit like it's a bit like any big team, really, versus it's Kilkenny hurling, Kerry football. You know, you play winning hurling, and then you you know, once you've got the game in the bag, you can play it whatever the hell way you want. I think what strikes me about Cork at the moment, when I say that, you know, there may be not. I, I just don't think they're quite equipped necessarily right. to play that kind of physical all action sort of game that 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 Clare Waterford play. Uh there's a lot of there's an awful lot of um you know, technical stuff as well goes into the Claire Waterford stuff. I'm not quite sure whether Cork have the hurlers of that, you know, of that quality to, 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 to play that game at the moment. Now that's not to say they can't they, they can't do some kind of version of it. But just if you're comparing to Clare and Waterford, I think just fundamentally I just don't think Cork have that, and plus, they don't have the panels that Clare and Waterford have. I mean, once you go past probably 17 or 18 Cork players, you're you're, you're getting into pretty 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 thin ground. Like, Waterford and Clare are able to sustain that team uh, through 70 minutes. They don't, you know, they're, they're able to keep up the tempo because of the guys they bring off the bench. Cork don't have that. Um, so, you know, they do have a number of disadvantages compared to some of the teams you mentioned there. Um, and it's partly why, I mean, I think coming in terms of Sunday, I think Cork... The only, the only, you know, real hope that Cork have, if you're looking from the outside, then to be very clinical about it and forget the romance of the whole thing, is goals. I mean, Cork conceded more than any other team in the league this year in one A or one B, but they also scored more goals than anybody in one A, um, which probably makes Seamus Harnedy arguably the most important player on the pitch full stop. Uh, if he, if he can, if Cork can get ball to him and he can cause problems for tip, kind of a little bit like Isaac O'Halbin did, kind of out of the blue. In 2010, against Tip, and you know that was the foundation for a, a, a very surprise win at the time. Um, you know that's the sort of thing that uh, will get Cork over the line. I think goals, essentially, they'll need to score goals.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up a positive, Michael, because it was us. <laughs> it it's little No, oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, yeah.
4: Listen, it's 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 like anything. And again, you know, I, I don't want to kind of harp on about the history and all that sort of thing, but it does it it does count in this in this particular rivalry. And I mean, you know, I can remember going to. Cork tip in 1990 when Cork were at a very, very low ebb, tip for All-Ireland champions. Cork had been beaten by Waterford the previous year in front of a nothing crowd in, in And I remember going into the ground, there was absolutely no expectation of Cork winning. They scored four goals. Um, they beat tip on the day. I remember Mark Foley scored 2-7 and John Fitzgibbon came back from America and got a couple, I think he got a couple of goals and Cork went on to win the All-Ireland. Now, I'm not saying that a win on Sunday says Cork up for an All-Ireland, but I'm just saying that, you know, Cork have the capacity to get in on their own tip on the, on the days you least expect it. Um, and, you know, they do have very, still have very good forwards. They're not the biggest, most physical, strong guys in the world, but they're very good score takers, particularly if they start well. So, you know, there's an awful lot for Tip to be wary of. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes I often think of, you know, Kerry Cork, for example, in football. Kerry are always paranoid uh, about being ready for Cork and not not letting their mental, the mental side of their their game drop for Cork. Tip sometimes, if they're confident enough, they will back themselves to win, which sometimes opens up a chink for Cork. So we'll see now on Sunday how how it goes, especially with tip tipping such warm favourites.
3: Yeah, and they're warm favourites on the back of uh, of a league campaign for Cork that you know was an unmitigated disaster until the last five minutes in Pear Stadium, where they managed to uh, get a you know a late goal. And, uh, and stay in Division 1A by beating Galway in that relegation playoff. I mean, they lost every other game other than that. And the, when you look through the scores, I mean, they conceded 127 to Galway in the in the uh, first game in the league proper, 20 points to Waterford, 421 against Dublin, 223, 227. I mean, there's a major problem here for Cork with their defence, and you would think, looking at it from the outside, that Tipperary have far too many good forwards to let them off the hook on Sunday. If they haven't done anything about that, uh, that those defensive frailties.
4: Oh, definitely. And I mean, look, this has been the ongoing debate about Cork for a couple of years now. I mean, the scorelines, they can see, you know, you'd think it was an 80-minute game they were playing or something sometimes. <laughs> but like, you know, again, as I said there before, I mean, they were trying to work these systems during the league. Um, you know, trying to get more guys back into positions to kind of sweep and, and, and give themselves a chance and, you know, leaving a couple of lads up. Up, up top then like to counter to, to counter attack when they did force turnovers and stuff God it all sounds like playing football you know it really is like you know they're trying to force turnovers 40 yards from goal and then and then get it moving the other way um, but like it's it's one of those things I mean it, how, it, it takes time to get those systems into place the one thing that struck me after the Galway game was that okay you win that game it's a bit of a travesty that Galway lose fewer games than Cork and get relegated Um but look, at, it's a bit of a break for Cork. They would have had six weeks till now to get it together. Is it long enough? Is it long enough to uh, build something sustainable? It might be long enough to build to get something together that's sustainable to be Tip. Whatever about going forward into the championship. So you know, again, that's the challenge I suppose from a Cork perspective. You know, you've got to. They, they could only concentrate on building something for Tip. So you know, they'll be looking at that specifically and, and trying to see what they can do. But certainly, look at. It wouldn't take a genius to work out that they need to concede less and as you say I mean Tip have Tip have so many guns around the place that uh, it's, it's going to be very hard to hold them for 70 minutes
1: Michael Foley uh, regardless of that enjoy the game thank you
4: I will thanks very much
5: well, that's the question that's going to be answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight no, I think Cork have made a massive boo boo with
3: their matchups. Massive boo boo.
5: Tonight, tonight,
4: tonight, tonight, tonight,
1: tonight. Yeah, it's a really good point that Michael made earlier on there about the idea that Cork can just throw a team out there. You know that that it can come together in any given year because they have talented hurlers and come up like the mushroom
3: is one of the more annoying <laughs> GA cliches. Uh, but that's what they say about Cork.
1: But, but Clare and Waterford being so organised now, and that's just within Munster, you've got teams that are organising themselves a lot better. Obviously Clare and Waterford have had very good teams over the years, but both having pretty promising teams this year and teams that are difficult to break down. You know, you have to actually... Th- maybe, it's a, maybe it's a little bit unfair to Jimmy Barry Murphy and to Kingston, and to these people who are obviously, uh, you know, passionate about what they're doing and, and all the rest of it, but it does seem now that if the other team has a plan you have to have a plan unless you believe all the Kilkenny nonsense that they don't have that they don't do tactics in Kilkenny yeah I mean maybe they don't but Cork have to do some tactics
3: yeah at the moment uh, Cork do not have the luxury of uh, saying we've got the best hurlers so you know in a fair fight we win Mm -hmm. Uh, like like what might be really difficult for Cork people to hear is that they might have the fourth best group of hurlers in Munster at the moment and Limerick you know I mean we're discounting Limerick here are in Division One B, I suppose that's what what we're basing this on, um, and they couldn't get promoted this year. But I mean, you know, you, that's that's the situation. Cork don't have the hurlers that Tipperary, Clare, and Waterford have at the moment, um, and that's that's something that they're going to have to that they're going to have to to deal with. And you know, the 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 word coming out of Cork over the last couple of weeks is right. Well, discard the league. It's been all about trying to div- get physically strong enough to compete uh, with. You know, teams like Kilkenny, because Cork haven't, Cork haven't been physical enough over the last number of years. They're they're just quite a bit smaller than the teams they're coming up against. I mean, I think that they're going to have to add a little bit more to their bow than a couple of kilograms. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, at the same time, this is a big, big game. And, yeah, I mean, you'd have to go for Tipperary on, on balance, but... It's not like it's ever a major surprise when Cork win a Munster championship game, to be, to be honest.
1: Nesbitt
5: Watch.
1: I'm here with a lot of people. Too many people actually to thank for this week's episode of Nesbitt Watch. You guys are all over him. I appreciate. I'm a little. I'd be worried if I was Nesbitt about the uh, mm. amount of focus on him. Don't don't do anything. Um, but I appreciate your dedication. Only we'll find you. Only the great Nesbitt could start a week, Murph, supping whiskey with a member of the royal family and end it chewing the cud with a knight of the realm. An article from the Belfast
0: Telegraph last Thursday: Just
1: Nesbitt being Nesbit on. Nesbit enjoys a shot of County Down whiskey with Prince Charles. As, controver- as uh, controversy over the secret rages on, This is the programme we talked about a couple of weeks ago. James Nesbitt looks relaxed as he knocks back a shot of County Down Whiskey with the Prince of Wales yesterday. The actor showed no signs of concern over the unfolded controversy. I'm sure we'll come back to that in due course. Mm. As he rubbed shoulders with royalty at a luxury department store in London. (laughs) Looking particularly dapper in a blue suit with matching suede shoes, the Bruffshane-born star joined Prince Charles and First Minister Arlene Foster at the Northern Ireland Year of Food event in Fortnum and Mason. (laughs) Mm. Fortnum and Mason, they make a bloody good jam on. Really?
3: Fortnum and Mason. Oh, when it comes to jams, they're the first and indeed the last word. Hold on
1: Fast forward to Tuesday night. Although I'm sure he was newsworthy all weekend, we're going to fast forward to Tuesday night. Nesbit locked intellectual horns with Sir Alex Ferguson and Rory McIlroy during an evening with Rory, broadcast on News Talk from the Convention Centre in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Did you know, Murph, this is the kind of stuff he was eliciting from the great Alex Ferguson. Okay. The, the fella who held up the Tara Fergie banner yeah. during the dark days of Ferguson's time at Man United in the late 80s. Called to so, say, you know, this is when they were going. Actually, you were talking about the FA Cup earlier on. It wasn't yeah. long before that. It Might have been earlier that season uh, when he, if, if, uh, the fans, some fans, wanted him out. And one guy in particular decided to write Tara Ferguson on his on his banner and wave it in Ferguson's face. Anyway, this guy quite recently called to Ferguson's door to personally deliver a copy of a book he'd written called Tara Ferguson. <laughs> Just thought Ferguson would like it as a gift. How do you think the boss reacted?
3: Oh. He let bygones be bygones
1: on? I gave it back to him. Why the hell would I want to read that? Asked Alex Ferguson rhetorically. The last time we checked in with this guy, he just signed as a professional fighter with Golden Boy Promotions in the US after boxing his way to European gold and world silver as an amateur. And it seems the pro career is going pretty nicely so far.
2: unanimous decision and still undefeated the pride of Donegal Ireland El Animal Jason Quigley
1: we well, have heard a uh, bit of a clip of the closing stages of uh, his most recent fight It's El Animal himself Jason Quigley How are you?
5: The farm How you keeping?
1: Good yeah Keeping well you got to tell us first of all where, where did El Animal come from?
5: Um, it came from the just the gym right here that I work in you know it's uh Obviously, out here in uh, California, you know, there's a lot of Mexicans and a lot of Spanish-speaking and everything like that, you know. And my coaches and everything seen seen the work that I put in and see how hard that I train, and you know, they see me then when I get into the ring and they started calling me El Animal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did I see you throw a couple of words of Spanish in in one or two post-fight interviews?
5: Yeah, I've been I've been trying to pick up on my Spanish a little bit, so I have you know because. Uh, you know, it's it's nice, obviously, to know another language at the end of the day as well. But over here as well, you know, you have good crack with the Mexicans and all kinds <laughs> of chat the uh, chat Spanish and everything with them. It's, it's it's good fun, so it is.
1: It's probably no harm either. You know, just in terms of um, picking up support as well. Like it's funny, we interviewed John Duddy uh, a month or so ago in New York, and. He had a different sort of a setup in that he was on the east coast of America, and he very much worked the Irish community there, and would go around to functions and bars, and literally just shake hands with as many people as he could to try to get the get the support. I guess it's a little different for you on on LA in terms of the, an Irish community, but uh, no harm picking up some some Spanish, speaking, some Mexican fans, etc.
5: Yeah, of course, you know, uh, of course, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's a business move too. Like, do you know what I mean? And you know, I'm out here on a mission and I'm out here to take care of business and, you know, to get the Mexican and the Spanish fans behind me will be amazing. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm not doing it solely business wise, you know, I- I, I work in a gym with a lot of Mexicans, my two coaches are Mexican and you know, it's great banter and everything as well, trying to pick up the language and then when somebody new comes into the gym I'll start speaking it to them and they'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> <this white> guy, <laughs> then, I guess you know you know, it's great fun. But of course at the end of the day, you know, it's it's uh, it's also great uh Mexican fans love it as well, do you know what I mean? It draws uh, draws good attention.
1: So how are you learning it? Are you, is, is it? are you doing any sort of classwork or is it just talking to the guys, talking to the Spanish speakers there and learning it that way?
5: Yeah, it's, it's mainly in the gym, you know, just yeah. having a bit of crack and having a bit of banter. Everybody in the gym, you know, and the coaches will be telling me, oh, say this and say that and this means that and everything, you know, but I'm uh, going back to Ireland now uh, this week for 10 days. I'm going to go back and chill out for a while, but when I come back, I'm going to be taking lessons and to to really pick up on the Spanish language.
1: It's probably the first time you've been home in a while, is it? I mean, you've been you've uh, you've kind of based yourself there, and I know you've tried to stay out there as much as you can to
5: really bet in. Yeah, you know, it's um, yeah, it's been a while. Like I've had my two training camps for my last two fights here and I haven't been home and in, say that distance and say that time as well. You know, but uh, really starting to get settled out here as well. Like I remember. You know, when I first came out here after every fight, I was like, right, straight home, (laughs) you know what I mean? But now it's like like just being on a holiday as soon as you finish your fight because, you know, it's LA, the weather's amazing. You know, there's so much to do out here and, you know, I take full advantage of that now and, you know, the main reason that I go home now is just to see my friends and family. You know, that's solely the only reason that I, I get to go home now because, you know, whereas before it used to be you know, you missed home, you were lonely and you, know, you got home homesick and everything. But now it's just to go back and, you know, usually I don't want back for four or six weeks and now it's down to 10 days. <laughs> My mother's not best, please. But, you know, she she understands what so she does.
1: Well, I, I see you tweeting a nice photo here of uh, a brand new Merc <laughs> sitting underneath a bunch of palm trees with a, a, a nice sunny shot in the background. What's going on there? Have you got a, you've got a Mercedes?
5: You have to roll in style now, don't you? No, <laughs> it's, <laughs> um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pass the opportunity up, you know what I mean? I was like, hey, look, I can get this Mercedes, I'm going to get it. You know, you're young and you live life once and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it, you know. And from, oh, from since I started driving, I've always wanted a Mercedes, you know. All my friends know me and they're all like, quickly, oh, Quigley always wanted a Mercedes, mm-hmm. and, you know. I go away and got it there nice. now, so it's uh no. It's definitely it's a it's a proud moment for me. So it is, for yeah,
1: sure. yeah. Good man, well, it's the it's the fruit of obviously a lot of hard labour there. And the most recent fight was ten days or so ago. It was a unanimous points win, a ten rounder. James De La Rosa was the opponent, and it looked I was about to say it looked tough. It didn't look tough in the sense that you were uh, in trouble at any stage. I mean, you won every round unanimously, but uh, a lot further than you've had to go before in your professional career. So I guess it was it was tough in that way.
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was uh it was a massive step up for me, you know, like this guy's twenty six fights or twenty three ones. He's boxed some of the best boxers in the world and beat them, you know, at professional level and you know, he's an experienced professional, he's been pro ten years. You know, a lot of people were saying to me, Jason, you've only ten fights, you've never won past four rounds. You know, this is this might be a bit too soon for you. You know, but that was people outside of my team, me and my team my coaches, my management and Golden Boy, we knew that I was ready and I was capable of taking this guy out there and that's why we took the fight. Do you know what I mean? It was it was absolutely perfect in every sense. Do you know what I mean? It was a great opponent. Do you know what I mean? A great record, brought a lot to the table. Um, a great stage, a great undercard, you know, publicity-wise and getting my name out there and setting the mark out there for myself was perfect as well and you know everything went to plan. It was my first hand rounder. Um, got amazing, exp- of course. <laughs> if I could have knocked the guy out, I would have knocked him out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's just that's just fighters. You know, we want to get a knockout, but you know the knockout didn't come. I had him gone a few times, but I didn't push it because I was in unknown water. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't know exactly what I could have in the tank. Like I knew I prepared a hundred and ten percent in the gym for it but it was still just having that wee bit of unknown going into the later rounds that I didn't want to push too much I didn't want to try for the knockout too much you know I did rattle him I did catch him a few times and maybe could have pushed the pressure and stopped him but I didn't want to because I knew it could affect me later on in the round so I just stuck to my boxing you know took it one round at a time kept doing what my corner was telling me and uh, you know put in a great performance and you know at the end of the day there's still loads of stuff to work on. There's still loads of stuff to get better on and perfect. And, uh, you know, there's plenty more experience to gain out there as well.
1: Yeah, I saw your trainer just before the final round. He's in the middle of giving you the usual sort of instructions. And he just sort of stops and he goes, uh, he said, how do you feel going 10 rounds, baby? <laughs> and you let a little yeah, yeah. smile. He seemed to enjoy it.
5: Yeah, you know, and, and that's what it's about. You know, I love what I do, do you know what I mean? Um, you see me in the gym, you'll see me in the change rooms and everything like that. You know, I'm having fun, I'm having a joke and, you know, enjoying myself. But when it comes to that just certain moment, you know, it's, it's time to switch on and, you know... uh My coach was delighted that I went 10 rounds because he used to, I could see he was disappointed every time I'd come in after a first round knockout or something (laughs) because he wants me to get that experience. He wants me to, because he knows how vital it is. And, you know, me and him and the team know the level I can get to and the level that I'm going to get to. You know, we need that experience of going 10 rounds and we need that experience of going the distance and learning in every fight. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was because uh, it was a thing, he says, you know, I really want you to go to 10 rounds and I really want a guy who's going to give you rounds. And, you know, he says that to in the corner and we had a wee joke about it, you know.
1: <laughs> Did you learn anything outside the ring, Jason? I'm asking that because this was on the Canelo Khan undercard, you know, it was a proper big night of boxing and this is what you're aspiring to, the level you're aspiring to get to.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um to be honest, I learned just as much outside the ring as I did inside the ring as well. You know, it was uh, it was an unbelievable life experience as well. Like the whole week in Vegas, um, I flew into Vegas on the Monday. Um, I had the grand arrivals on a Tuesday. I had the press conference on a Wednesday, media workout on a Thursday, weigh-ins on the Friday, fight on the Saturday. You know, it was a it was a long grueling week. You know, when you're making weight and focusing on your, the biggest fight of my career, you know, but this is the reason why I turned professional out here. This is the reason that I turned pro and moved away from Ireland is because at the end of the day, look, I turned professional to be the best I can be. I want to be world champion and I want to be the best fighter that there ever was. Do you know what I mean? So these are the reasons why I've made these moves and made these decisions because I want to get my feet wet. Now, I don't want to get to a world title shot stage or defend the world title out in Vegas and landing out here for the first time and being, wow, this is amazing, this is this, and, you know, what am I doing now, what am I, you know, whenever I get to that stage, it'll all be imprinted in my brain. I'll be prepared and ready and know what goes down and how the routine works, and it'll not be be any big shock to me or throw me off any routine or anything like that. You know, I'll be well prepared and you know this is the reason why the the whole fight week was absolutely amazing. It was a great experience, and uh, to be honest, you know, I really felt at home. I really felt comfortable up there on the stage at the press conferences in front of all the cameras. You know, and uh, I really feel as if that's where I
1: belong. Yeah, well, you're always... Um, I've seen this from talking to you a couple of times in the past. I mean, you're very natural in, in conversation. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'd imagine... I don't think you're going to go in for the... Well, we'll see when the fights get bigger and bigger. I don't know if you'll go in for the uh, sort of, you know, pre-fight, slagging each other off kind of angle. But uh, I'd say the Americans will enjoy how articulate you are and, uh, and and just the, the, the way you deliver.
5: Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I... I just go up there and I speak the truth. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I speak the truth and what comes into my head, you know, and that's what makes it so simple and so easy for me is because I'm not going up there thinking, right, I'm going to say this or I'm going to do this. I just go up there and I go with the flow. I'm a very, very, uh, you know, determined man and, you know, I'll get up there on the stage. If he wants to talk shit or do whatever he wants to do to me, you know, let him do it. You know what I mean? I'll let no man disrespect me or my family or anything like that. You know, he can say what he wants, but there's a line there, you know. and uh, But at the end of the day, you know, De La Rossa tried to do a few things with me and everything. You know, we were sitting at the press conference, and uh, he was obviously meant to fight Lemieux. And uh, Lemieux didn't make the weight, so the fight was called off. De, De La Rossa didn't, didn't take the fight then over the sake of two or three pounds or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Del Ross started giving uh, Lemieux a bit of a hard time and tried to get my back up and was like, "You know, Jason will have no problems making weight and all this here." And I just looked at him straight in the eye blank and didn't even speak to him. And he's like, "He didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what I mean." I was like, "You want me on your side here?" I just "I'm ready to kick your ass on Saturday night." Do you know what I mean? It was, uh, and then he, he, he started doing it in a few face offs and started talking about it And, you know, I just stared him in the eye and I gave him absolutely nothing. He knew by looking at me that his talking and all this wasn't going to throw me off. You know, I was determined, I was focused to take him out there on Saturday night, and that's exactly what I did.
1: How did it work after the fight? Do you get to, you know, after you do whatever you have to do immediately afterwards, do you get to actually sit down and and see the Can Canelo fight?
5: Yeah, um,. Yeah, we uh, obviously we go back and do our bits and pieces, and we have to go to media row in and do all the media and everything like that. But uh, now I had uh, time. I actually came out in time for the Lemieux tapia and also the Can fight. You know, so it was a uh, it was a great night. It was a great atmosphere. And yeah, uh, there was, know, yeah, and there was nothing about that atmosphere.
1: Yeah, there was nothing about that atmosphere that in any way made you think, geez, this is this this is going to be a bit nerve wracking when I get to this stage. It sounds like you felt pretty pretty comfortable. <laughs>
5: the first thing that I thought of was uh, I came out here and Canelo and Can was coming into the ring and I could hear the roars and shouts and I was like this is nothing you can imagine I fill this face full of Irish with the noise is going <laughs> to be like you know that was
0: the
5: first thing that came into my head and you know that's what I planned to do you know I plan on filling these arenas with loads of Irish and you know it's like <laughs> it's like having an extra two pair of hands whenever I'm in the ring if I have that kind of support behind me you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Irish fans are absolutely amazing. You know, the support that I have back at home is absolutely amazing, you know, and it, it really drives me on out here because, you know, you are so far away from home and I can get lonely and down out here sometimes, you know, but seeing the support and the messages from everyone back at home, it's... it's uh, it really warms the heart, and it's a, I'm really grateful for all the support.
1: There's uh, talk in the last of the while of a unification fight between Canelo and Golovkin. It's um, it's a hell of a weight division you're in there, Jason.
5: Oh, without a doubt, you know what I mean. And you know, there's a lot of great fighters that went through the ranks that didn't have the opponents to make them great as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of great fighters that went through the, the ranks and won world titles. Didn't really fight any big names because there's no big names in the division. But, you know, I'm gifted. You know, I'm blessed to be in such an amazing weight category of middleweight fighters. You know, any of the top guys, you fight them and beat them, you make yourself. You know, so imagine fighting them all and beating them all. And, you know, that's that's my aim and that's my plan. You know, I'm very lucky to have such a great uh, middleweight division to be amongst them. And, uh, you know, that's... Uh, that's the way to make a name for yourself And to make a lot of money as well
1: Well listen Jason I'm sure you'd rather be out in the sunshine Testing out that new Merc So we better let you go oh, Yeah listen Drive safely And we'll chat to you soon
5: Deadly Thanks for having me lads Take it easy What, you, what are you saying? You're just a phony man This is
2: just what happened. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day it's supposed to look. This ain't wrestling This ain't the WWE baby My bed is just a little bit just a little big This is just an act that you're doing You should be an actor But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad <laughs>
5: I'll never do that There
2: were two bad people One was John win and he's dead brother And the other was right here You can run you can around like you're a preacher and all that you want But baby, I promise you I will baptize you oh,
1: You can't teach that Good thing we checked in on Jason there, Murph. Sounds like he's really struggling over, over there. He's an Irish emigre, really. It's hard, hell. Finding it hard to find his feet there as he uh, mm. continues to box the head off lads. And Just uh, stay the course, and, Jason. That would be my, my himself, words of uh, wisdom to you. There. I love the confidence. I love listening to that, guys. He, he had, uh, I don't know, maybe people feel he's overconfident. I, I don't think so. I think in, in the sport he's in, it probably pays to... Have massive self-belief clearly it does but also he's, he's so funny he's just, he comes across really well that's why I was, didn't really articulate it that well in the question to him but I can imagine American media people hmm. enjoying enjoying uh, Jason Quigley yes. you know, he's, he's, he conforms to some of the dearly held stereotypes
3: about our lovely nation uh, he? just no well,
1: no just a you know a,
3: a lovely lovely man to spend some time with that's what the Americans think of us, though, they love us.
1: OK. Uh, Sorry. before we... Well, actually, we haven't covered the Pro 12 semifinals yet. Obviously, Leinster Ulster's a sellout, but Connacht still feels like the story, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, for a team, you know, for years that couldn't get in the newspapers or in the media, they can't get out of it at the moment. And this is, as they will admit, the biggest game in their history. I mean, they've been in the European Cup before, but this is a chance to actually win something, which I think makes it their biggest game in their history. And uh, there's obviously what we reported earlier in the week about Robbie Henshaw and Boniaki and his pals going around to get the laptop, laptop yeah. from the person who stole it. Um, there's Pat Lamb being linked with a number of jobs in the UK, particularly Bath, now that Ford has gone from there. Um, and then Pat Lamb subsequently not exactly being that clear on whether he'd be interested in another job. He said, look, who knows? It's a fickle business. Uh, who knows what's around the corner? Mentioned clauses in contracts. He's mm-hmm. there. He's contracted until 2018. Um, and then the other thing is, they, they launched their, their vision and strategy uh, for the next four years. And a part of that, obviously, the biggest part of that is their stadium. And they want a 10,000 seater. CEO Willie Oran was saying their first preference is the sports ground. But, you know, if that doesn't work, they'll look elsewhere. And that's pretty exciting. I mean, at the moment, they fit almost 8,000 for this sellout against Glasgow. They were oversubscribed for games against Munster, Leinster, the previous game against Glasgow. They reckon they could have doubled the capacity, almost 15,000, something like that, uh, for this game. So they, as he says himself, Willie they're leaving people outside the gates now. And if you do that repeatedly, that becomes a problem. Um, now, the other suggestion, which he also admitted to at the launch of the strategy, was, you know, you can get too ambitious too quickly mm-hmm. and build something that's too big, which has happened Munster, arguably. Now, Munster might get very good again and they'll fill the home again but at the moment it feels too big Mm. for the size that Limerick is and maybe Connacht are doing the same thing but in my opinion at the same time you need momentum to get these things going and Connacht have momentum at the moment and the the political will the sporting will all those things need momentum and they have it
3: Yeah and I liked what he was saying about this he wants to get this sorted this summer Uh, that's what Connacht was saying Mm. They, they want a decision made on this this summer because you push this 12 months down the line there's not the enthusiasm there amongst businesses to roll in behind it. I mean, now is the time. Now is the time to, for, for kind to make a decision and go for it. Uh, because waiting around for the, for this to just continue for four or five years and then deciding to do something. I mean, what can't need is they need a home. The sports ground is not... It isn't a rugby stadium. You know, it's... Yeah. it's, it's it, What they've done with it is amazing. They can get an atmosphere like they have there in what... In a in a space that isn't conducive to a good atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, there you know, there's there's barely any uh, seating behind either goal. Uh, you're away from the pitch on one side, on you know, on uh, all the way along one sideline. I mean, it's a miracle they're getting the atmosphere that they are, and it's a huge credit to that they are. But what they need now is to make a decision that ensures that they they get the absolute best atmosphere possible. And I mean, it, they're talking sense about the crowd as well. I mean, there's a ceiling on it. There yeah. definitely is a ceiling on. On the sort of crowds that you can get in Connacht, but right now they're there. They're leaving too many people outside the door, so it'll be interesting to see yeah. what they can do. I mean, the the ownership issue with the sports ground is, you know, it's quite complicated. They don't own it. It's you know, it's it's on a lease uh, alongside the Irish Greyhound Board. So there's quite a few hoops to be jumped through before you can actually get before you can get some satisfaction on that. I would say, but. Yeah, they, the fact that they're talking about a resolution by the end of the summer, that's positive.
0: Yeah, I think people will stand in the rain when they feel there's a bit of a cause and things are moving in the right direction and you've come from this very low base, but that will actually fade in a season or less. And people will get sick of that. So I think the capacity is one thing, but just the actual facilities is even more important.
1: Will they be in a final and who will it be against? Uh,
0: I think they will play Leinster in a final.
1: Yeah, you think Leinster are Beatles? Awesome? Yeah,
0: I do, yeah. Even though. Ulster are in form and Leinster aren't in any form. Just this historical thing, I think, Andrew Trimble was saying this week, in his whole career, I think he's beaten Leinster away once. Every time they get to a crucial stage of a tournament and they play Leinster, they lose.
1: All right, before we go, we got a lovely email from Kieran and Nessa Power, who have asked us to give a shout out to Kieran's sister in law, Mary Power, in West Kirby. She he says she married my brother in Leicester. They're claiming credit for the league's success 22 years later. Before eventually moving near Liverpool, their spiritual football home, she's currently undergoing chemotherapy. So, a massive second captain shout out to Mary Power there in West Kirby. That's just about it for this pod. Robbie Ryan, the man who marked Cristiano Ronaldo in the 2004 FA Cup final, is in her football pod with Richie Sadler and Ken in Basel with full Europa League final reaction get your Damien Duff poems into us via email second captains at Irish yes, Times. you uh, heard camp. that right <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Damien
0: Duff poems if you missed the earlier part of the podcast that's going to sound very strange thanks
1: Murph
3: thank you Owen thanks Simon thanks, thanks I- Murph
0: thanks Owen thanks very thanks that's the second time it's gone off
2: it.